my name is Elizabeth Passarella. Um, I am the author of this book, Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. Um, and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you guys for trudging up to this second floor little room. Um, you know, when Dave Zoll emailed me and asked if I would consider coming and talking, I said that I would be really happy to serve coffee at the Market for Content Conference or take your bagel orders. Um, so to be able to talk is just really exciting. So. Um, so yes, I am the nice lady who's going to talk to you guys about anger. Um, and you know, as I was thinking about this talk, I realized there are a lot of writers that I really, really love um, who I've heard speak, either in person or I've watched YouTube videos of them speaking, and they're kind of meh. And then there's other writers that I, I don't necessarily, I think their books are okay, they're not love them, but they're just stupendous speakers. And you know, those two skills just don't always go hand in hand. So I'm, I'm sorry to say that I'm 99% sure I spend most of my time writing. I'm usually unshowered in a library writing. So I'm going for just straight mediocrity, you guys, with, with speaking to you all. But, um, but I am really happy to be here. Y'all can let me know how I did at the end. Um, and speaking at the end, too, I really do want to leave time to, to talk to people. I love talking to people. I love answering questions. I have lived in New York. I grew up in the South, but I've lived in New York now for about 23 years. I have three kids. Um, I'm raising my children, my family in New York, and I love talking about that too. A lot of this book is about that. So um, I'm definitely going to leave time at the end uh, for people to ask questions. If anybody wants to ask the burning question, which is just putting evangelical on the cover of your book in the year 2021 mm -hmm. when it came out, good or bad for business. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but we can talk about that too. Okay, so I am going to read a little bit of the book um, that has to do specifically with fighting and yelling and uh, having a temper, which is something I've dealt a lot with. So I'm going to read um, a couple of little excerpts from different uh, sections throughout this talk. So this first thing that I'm going to read is from chapter five in the book, and it is called Fighting Outside. In 2008, Michael, that's my husband, and I went to a Pat Benatar concert at the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side. We were with another couple, Michael's best friend from college and his girlfriend, and the girlfriend and I had slipped about a dozen airplane liquor bottles in our pants and purses, like college students, to avoid paying jacked up Beacon Theater cocktail prices, but still get as tipsy as one needs to be to sing We Belong at top volume. This was just the latest in a long line of concerts we'd attended together that featured middle-aged musicians who had peaked during the early 1980s. While Michael was in law school, we saw Oreo Speedwagon at House of Blues in New Orleans. A couple of years after Pat Benatar, I bought tickets to see Air Supply for Michael's birthday. The show started at 7 p.m. and was over by 9. And I swear that one of the two air suppliers, who were both almost 70, had a pick line outlined in surgical gauze in one of his arms. <laughs> Music that sounded like it was ripped from the soundtrack of The Karate Kid was our preferred speed. Pat Benatar was tremendous. She looked great to start. She played all of her hits, some of them acoustic, while she perched like a mountain lion on a wooden stool. Walking out of the Beacon Theater onto Amsterdam Avenue, we had that rush of satisfaction that the thing you just paid money to see was worth exactly the amount of money you paid to see it, if not a little more. The next thing I remember is that Michael threw his shoe at me. We were standing in front of The Cottage, a Chinese restaurant on the corner of West 77th Street that is famous for its decent food, served with, what is it served with? Free, free boxed white wine, free boxed white wine. So it's very popular with Columbia students and broke young professionals. My memory that we were in front of the cottage is especially vivid because the manager came outside, looked at my husband, who was standing on the dirty New York City sidewalk in his sock, yelling at me, 
and asked if I'd like him to call the police. I declined. After all, I was yelling back for the life of me. I have no idea what we were arguing about. And had certainly, come in, come in, and had certainly had some, said something sinister enough to warrant the shoe being thrown in my direction. I was complicit. We'd gone from giddy and jubilant post-concert to rageful in the span of 10 minutes and in front of hundreds of bystanders. Our friends flagged down a cab, shoved us in it, and we continued our argument until one of us fell asleep on the couch in our apartment. That's how most arguments ended in the early years of our marriage. Going to bed angry was the only way for things to peter out. In 2013, when we had two very young children, we went out to dinner at a restaurant near our apartment on 106th and Amsterdam Avenue. Date nights in those days always started out as a romantic idea, but dissolved into an airing of grievances the minute we were out, out the door and out of earshot of our kids. The thing about living in New York is that privacy largely doesn't exist. If you want to argue at home, your kids are always a few steps away. The times when we've tried to keep it quiet, hissing and making threats through clenched teeth in the kitchen under the pretense of getting dinner ready, the kids are even more attuned. What are you whispering about in there? I can't hear you. Why is mommy crying? That night, walking to the restaurant, we were fighting about division of labor in our household, <laughs> which will come as a surprise to exactly zero adults with children reading this. You all know how it goes. I have a job, you have a job, but I have more of a job because I'm the default parent, a term that had been coined by a think piece in the Atlantic, I believe. And so I am always home to relieve, relieve the babysitter. Plus, I do most of the cooking and grocery shopping and laundry folding. Our particular fight that evening had begun with my berating Michael about not changing the light bulb in our bathroom. Even though he said he was going to do it 10 days ago and degenerated into me sobbing and screaming, I just wish you were handy. Other husbands build bookshelves. Because nothing stings quite like being told you aren't a satisfactory woodworker. <laughs> we fought loudly and openly the entire walk to the restaurant. I wonder sometimes if there's a collection of videos on YouTube titled, Parents of Young Children Yell at Each Other on Amsterdam Avenue, Scary, recorded by a horrified unmarried bystander. Then again, I remember this is New York, and my children and I once saw a woman walking breezily down Central Park West at 3.30 p.m. on a Friday wearing a prairie skirt and nothing else. <laughs> Two adults fighting about meal planning is ambient noise. When we got to our table, conveniently located outside, within earshots, earshot of passersby, I was still so furious that I snapped at the poor server who was taking my order. I was such a monster that after neutralizing my anger with a boatload of nachos and several beers, I made myself go inside the restaurant and apologize to her. On another date, we had a cab driver pull over and tell us to either shut up or get out of his car. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Why am I airing my dirty laundry, as my mother would say? Well, for a few reasons. First of all, I find that telling friends how and why we fight or showing strangers by fighting openly on public sidewalks in New York City makes other people feel better about their marriages in an extremely superficial and temporary manner. And I'm happy to provide that service. In the same way we read about a child dying and go home to hug our own more sincerely, I hope people witnessing me yell, are you kidding me? You call that vacuuming? turn to their partner and think, I have it pretty good. At least I'm not married to her. <laughs> so, I was listening to a podcast, actually just a few days ago, it was a podcast, like a reading podcast, where there was a book influencer and she was interviewing an author. And this author was saying how she writes essays, like I do, she writes about personal, personal things. And she said that she does not, um, she has a really hard line about sharing her children in her books and her family. She does not use her children's names anywhere. She doesn't write about her family. And, um, you know, obviously that's a, 
sort of train of thought that I do not subscribe to. My kids are all over the place. I write about my children all the time. I'm going to read something in a minute about yelling at my daughter. Um, but they actually brought up David Sedaris, who, if you've ever read David Sedaris, you know, I mean, he writes all kind of inappropriate things. He writes about really, you know, intimate parts of his life. He's raunchy. He writes about lots of shocking things. But this author on the podcast said she had interviewed him once, and he said, I never write about sex. I don't write about my sex life. That's just the line that I draw. That's where, that's where I, you know, that's the boundary that he follows. So now I'm published by a, a Christian imprint. So there are certain lines I cannot cross. I had to take a couple of really good curse words out of this book. <laughs> but um, I was thinking about lines that I wouldn't cross and things I wouldn't write about. And there are a lot of people who I've, I've met in the past years. I've been talking about this book of people who think that this is it that I should not write about fighting with my husband, I shouldn't write about fighting with my daughter or my children, that it is private, that it is too intimate. And I just could not disagree more. I think we need to be talking about this. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot. Some of you all are probably on Instagram a lot too. And if you have children, you likely see content from a lot of parenting coaches or parenting experts or people, I guess, who think they are parenting experts. <laughs> and so often I read these stories and the you know, there's this, they'll talk about this mistake kind of at the end of the story, this awful, awful thing. And that awful, awful thing is always a parent raising his or her voice at their child. You know, she yelled at her kid. And sometimes there's sort of this three-step plan or something to address, you know, this horrific occurrence of yelling at your children. And I don't want to come across, I never want to come across as dismissing that, that, that being angry or yelling is somehow totally fine. However, every time I read something like that, I just feel really alone. Um... It's the same way, actually, as kind of a middle-aged woman that I feel about when women, sorry, there's a lot of men in this audience, and you can, you can tune me out for a second, but how women will talk about, there's that one pesky dark chin hair that grows, yeah. and you're like, I just got, it's, you know, there's just this one chin hair, it's so annoying, and it grows, and I pluck it, and it grows back, and I just think, oh my gosh. I spend more time with my tweezers than I do with my husband. Like, I could <laughs> tweeze for hours every day, and still I will grow, I will wake up with a five o'clock shadow, like, every morning. So this magical, wonderful world where women have, you know, one chin hair is sort of, that's, I don't understand that, and I don't understand this magical, wonderful world where no one yells at your child or losing it with your spouse or your roommate or whoever it is. It's just the worst thing that could happen in your household. I can just think of so many worse things in my life, for example. So anger is just a kind of a way of life for me. I've always been this way. I've always had a quick temper. I've always had a loud voice. I've always had a real talent in saying the true thing. It's also very, very hurtful to people around me. Um, I've always struggled with self-control. I think so often about the fruits of the spirit and how, see, I'm going to have to read it, guys. This is why, because I really don't know them perfectly. So, you know, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I always think that God wrote that in the order that it was written in just for me because you can, you can forget all the rest of them. It's like blah, 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 self-control. Like self-control <laughs> is the last one. And that's the kicker so that I can remember that. So I know that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. I know the verse in Proverbs. It's like our family verse, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We say this all the time in my house. I know all these things, but I have still thrown a bag of groceries at my husband's head. I've thrown a remote control. Um, I yell at my kids when they don't respond to my requests right away or when we were trying to get out the door in the morning. Um, that's a very familiar scenario probably to many of you. So why then do I yell if I know I shouldn't? Now, it may be different for you, um, but I think the most dominant idol in my life is control. And when things feel out of control 
or they feel unorganized, or they feel messy, which is every day of your life if you live in contact with other human beings, uh, whether it's a roommate or a spouse or children or anybody, um, coworkers. You know, when I feel like I do not have control, I am trying to wrench, wrench it back by force. And when I cannot get others in line with what I want, I'm not sad, I'm not depressed, I don't internalize it, I am angry. And I yell because I feel that loss of control. And I yell because I'm afraid of the way it is now, is how it's always gonna be, and things are never gonna change, and I'll never get back to holding all the cards intently like I want to. So you can imagine how the chaos of a pandemic affected my sense of control. So here I had written this book, came out in January of 2021, so kind of right in the smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. I've talked so openly about fighting and about anger, but I've also, I ended those chapters on a good note. I tied them up in neat bows. I talked about <laughs> forgiveness, and I talked about how healthy it is for parents to see, or kids to see their parents fight, and to resolve those things sort of in a, in a mature manner. Um, I talked about learning to repent to my children and how important that was. And I really thought, I think that so much of that self-reflection um, and the confession that I'd done in my writing was sort of turning a page in a way, um, almost like my own words were kind of holding me accountable. And then, and then we were stuck inside a two-bedroom apartment uh, with five people. And I had to put all of my work on the back burner for pretty much an entire year to, to school children, remote children, and hybrid learning children, and to feed everyone three meals a day. Um, and boy, was I pissed. <laughs> I was so, so pissed. So I lost all the organization I had set up for my life. I lost all the systems. I really love working. I love working. I don't always love mothering. And I had to do something I didn't want to do all the time, and it felt so unfair. So my youngest child, who was just about to turn two in March of 2020, began to say at the dinner table on many, many nights, okay, mommy, what are the words we don't say? And then he would proceed to go through them. <laughs> the S word, the F word. I guess I could say those. I don't, I'm not gonna say them because it's being recorded. Who knows who's gonna get this video? All of them, he knows all the bad words. And he has heard them not on New York City playgrounds, although he's heard them there too. He has heard them out of his mother's mouth. <laughs> So now the one, I will say the one bright spot of my sort of descent into pandemic rage is that even though I just read about that, I was really no longer mad at my husband, sort of ever. Um, I know that lockdown really had the opposite effect for a lot of people and a lot of marriages. You know, you're suddenly home with someone 24 seven, you realize you don't get along or there were things about each other that you know, you've brushed off and had to kind of face head on. Um, I know a lot of people whose marriages were really strained but if there is any sign of grace from that dark time, it is that our marriage was sort of the opposite. He was the only person I liked. <laughs> the, uh, the more time I spent with my kids and the more I realized you know, that they were, they were very distant second places to the relationship that I had with my husband. So um, even though we're sort of out of the worst times now, I feel like this still holds and that is really good. I have a lot more patience and love for him. And um, I, I will say, I invited him to come today and, and listen to me talk. I was like, you know, it really made me feel better if like you were in the audience and you could like be there. And he thought it was a better use of his time and our family's resources for him to work this afternoon and pick up one of our children from school. So we may fight about that later. <laughs> Other than that, we are good. We are good, because, which is good because we have our work cut out for, for us. We have a very, we have a very foul mouth toddler we have to deal with, so. Um, one thing I do want to mention in talking about anger, um, especially during the past couple of years, is that, you know, with everything going on 
and I'm not just talking about COVID, but Black Lives Matter protests, so many injustices that sort of rose to the surface into our consciousness in terms of work and access to services and school and all of those things, is that it became in society just really okay to be angry, sort of a glorified thing to be angry. I mean, you, you know, we as women should be angry. Um, and I feel like you've, you've probably all seen somewhere on social media, like if you're, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And I think that the Christians even will talk about Jesus's anger in the temple porch. Jason just spoke about it. Um, and sometimes co-opt that <laughs> into whatever narrative they want at the time. And that was like a drug for me. I, you know, I, I would hear things like that and I would say, ooh, this is justification. You know, this is a good thing. This is right and good, how angry I am. And I think, again, you know, there's nuance to that point of view, but I think that for people with my temperament, that was a really dangerous thing. So I'm not a theologian, you guys. There are lots of them here. So many, so many theologians here. So you can go ask somebody later. But, you know, I'm not qualified, I feel like, to talk about the difference between righteous anger and punitive anger and when it's okay to yell at a TSA agent at an airport. (laughs) (laughs) And when it's not, I would say not. Don't. Don't do that. They will definitely threaten to call the police on you. So I know there is justification for anger um, and that Jesus was fully God and fully human and that he felt the weight of injustice too. But I will say from my own experience, for me, um, that glorification of anger can become an idol unto itself. It can take a sometimes thing and make it sort of a way of life. I so often uh, brush off my temper with kind of a shrug of just, well, that's just how I am, um, as if I can't change. (laughs) So... um, I'm going to tell you a quick story. When my husband and I were first married, we went to an anger management workshop at our church for couples. Um, actually, I should say I made him go to an anger management workshop for couples at our church so that he could learn how to not make me so angry. Um, we did not really learn a lot, but I remember from that workshop that everyone had to choose a sticker, and all the stickers had animals on them. So you had to choose a sticker that represented you as an animal. So there were, I don't remember all the animals. I do know there was a turtle, because obviously whoever's being yelled at, you know, has to like get inside their shell and protect themselves. So there was a turtle, and then there was the sticker that I chose, which was the fire-breathing dragon. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I was really secure and happy choosing that fire-breathing dragon because it's just who I am. Like that's just how I, how you know, how I am. I'm fiery. Um, I can't change. You know, I think we all tell ourselves these kinds of stories. That that's just who I am. Um, and on the flip side, I should note, too, I don't have much of a trace of an accent. Someone brought that up earlier. But I did grow up in the Deep South. I grew up in Memphis. Um, and my temper, which I've had since I was a kid, was very upsetting to my mother, who almost never raised her voice. Um, every time I went anywhere, my Mississippi-bred mother would say to me, you know, be sweet, be nice. The goal was to bury that temper and be pleasant at all costs. And that's a lot of people, too, um, people who tell themselves that that's just how they are that they are calm, that they suppress, that they are pleasant. And both of those approaches, I think, um, are bondage. You know, be sweet, be nice, be pleasant, that's the law too. It just plays better, not in public. Will not get you arrested by airport police. <laughs> I didn't get arrested by airport police. There was just a threat to call them. Um, you know, I just think the sin in our hearts in both of those situations is equally black. It's just different how it comes to the surface. So that's how I like to think of it. So being an angry person is not who I am. We all know that. It's not my identity. Um, It's not my identity any more than the good things about me are my identity. That being a happy wife, being a good mom, being a published writer, uh, those are things my mother is very pleased with. But those are also not my identity. 
Um, I wish I could give you the secret to walking between those two extremes, to be someone who expresses her emotions in a healthy way and isn't flying off the handle all the time. And the truth is, I have tried a lot of techniques to calm down before I blow it. I have tried leaving the room and giving myself a timeout. Um, I have tried what one parenting coach I follow on Instagram, who is a Christian, but she says to make like big body motions, like, oh, I got like a girl, or you can like tap your face, or you can do these different things to like diffuse your emotions. Anyway, it, it, I've tried praying about it. I've tried praying about it. You know, and I have good and bad days. Nothing is a magic bullet for me. And it's because I cannot capable my way out of this sin. You know, we cannot capable our way out of sin patterns. And for people who like control and have strong personalities, you think you can. Um, and of course, that's the good news. I truly cannot help myself, you know, in every sense of the word. And the gift of that realization is that knowing I have this huge problem that I have a hard time getting under control just shows me the mind-boggling vastness of God's forgiveness and grace. I mess this up day after day after day, and God's grace shows up day after day after day. So he has used my anger not to remind me how terrible I am or to shame me, but to remind me how loving he is. It takes my eyes off of myself and re redirects them towards him. Now, that said, I'm a magazine editor at heart. I've spent most of my career writing for a lot of women's magazines in New York. And if there's, I spent a lot of years at Real Simple Magazine. If there's something a women's magazine writer knows how to do, it is to give you a bulleted list of tips. <laughs> so no one loves a bulleted list of tips like Real Simple Magazine. So I'm going to give them, I'm going to give you, let's not call them tips, we'll call them like bulleted points of hope or something. Um, so first, before I start those, before I start those, I'm going to read from chapter three, which, or not chapter three, is it chapter three? I'm going to read it from a different chapter in this book, chapter six maybe, called Lions, in which I do talk about, um, I start out talking about personality tests, um, a little bit about the Enneagram, which kind of drives me crazy, but I talk about how when I was really young, kind of in middle school, my aunt gave everyone in our family a personality test where you were, you were uh, classified as one of four animals. And a lot of you have probably taken this too. You're a lion, a beaver, a golden retriever, or an otter. Otter, thank you, an otter. Um, so my, my dad was a beaver. My mom and my sister are both golden retrievers. I kind of married a golden retriever otter type. Um, and you can imagine what these are. Golden retrievers loyal and, and comforting. Otters are fun and playful and beavers are really meticulous. And then there's a lion. And I'm the only lion in my entire extended family. Cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody. All, I was the only lion. Um, and it's, it's very fitting. I actually wrote my college essay about being the only lion in my family. And I did fine. So anyway. Um, so the beginning of this chapter talks about that. It also talks about how my oldest child, who was a girl, um, who is now in middle school, she was about nine when I wrote this book, um, is definitely a lion. <laughs> and so, a lion raising a lion is tricky business. Remember, I was raised by a golden retriever. When I got frustrated over a school project I couldn't get right, an argument with my dad I couldn't win, a hurt I couldn't articulate, my mother listened calmly and tried to soothe. The worst she would stoop to was simply leaving the room. Maybe to scream into a pillow, who knows, but she rarely screamed at me. I, on the other hand, go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, roar to roar with my kid. I am not proud of this, but that's the thing with lions. We stand our ground. We have two more children now, both boys, and though one is a baby, it's not a baby anymore because he curses, um, and therefore a mystery. 
My middle child, when yelled at, again, not proud, gets reliably upset. My daughter, however, will deliberately disobey me, lie about it, and when I lose my ever-loving mind, will stare me down with absolutely zero emotion, much less tears of contrition, and very coolly say, I need you to call daddy and ask until, how long until he gets home. The Golden Retriever, when's that guy coming around to lick everyone's faces and smooth things over? She is tough, and it is so easy for me to forget that she is, it's so easy for me to forget that she's a child. I yell at her like she's an equal, not a nine-year-old. I sometimes want to say, hey, I could never yell at your brothers this way. You can take it, good for you. Okay, I said that to her, but I know that's terrible, and no excuse. So, back to my bulleted list. Um, so, number one, if you are an angry adult like me, and you have an angry child, like I do. Or perhaps you don't have an angry child whose temperament is like this, but you just have a teenager, or a middle schooler who was hormonal. Or maybe, you know, you have a spouse this way, or maybe your, the, your office mate is like this. Um, I just wanna tell you, you are well equipped. My oldest child, this one I'm talking about in the book, is in middle school now, and yes, it is very, very hard. We have a lot of outbursts, both of us. Um, but I love this time with her. And I think part of the reason that I can weather the storm with her is because her anger doesn't wound me. You know, so many parents say, you have to remember, don't take it personally. When your teenagers say awful things to you, and like, oh no, don't worry, I do not. I don't take it personally. I am a dragon, I have scales, like I have a very thick skin. I can be in it with her and she can be fully herself. And what she, I, you know, I can feel what she feels. Um, and it's actually been really good for our relationship. So I just want to say, like, if you have a hard relationship in your life and you are angry and you worry about this just explosive um, situation, yes, lots of explosions, explosions, like so many. But um, but actually, you're really well equipped. Like maybe you can you can thank God for that gift in some way. Uh, number two, your children, your spouse, your roommate, your coworkers—they are your neighbors. <laughs> we are called to love our neighbors. You know, my kids make low-key fun of me because I would be screaming at them one minute to like, get out the door, get out. And then the minute we get on the bus, I'm like, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, you know, doing this or that. Or I'll be chit-chatting with the person or I'll get to the gap and I'm talking to the cashier and I'm so lovely. And my kids always make fun of me like, you're so nice and you make all that nice small talk with like all these people that you don't know. And it's like, well, of course they're strangers or they're my neighbors. I'm called to be nice to my neighbors or love my neighbors. Um, my children are my neighbors. Like your family are your neighbors. So... You know, we also, we're, we're so often our worst selves to the people who we're closest to because, and that could be a freeing thing, that could be a good thing, but it also helps me anyway to remember that my family members, my children, are not my creation to control. They are God's creation for me to honor. They are my neighbors, so I need to love my neighbors. So number three, bullet point of hope, is uh, my sin is not hidden. Yelling is not a quiet sin. So I would hide things if I could. I think about all the things I hide. I hide jealousy, I hide my judgment, I hide lust, I hide, all, I hide all these other things. And I just, I can't. I would hide this if I could and I can't. So, I mean, I screamed at my child literally in front of Whole Foods, like in front of dozens of people. And I just think, okay, well, if there's any time you wanna feel convicted, I mean, have a sin that is really out in the open. So I have to really, I have to repent. I have to ask for my husband's forgiveness, my children's forgiveness. And I just think that's good practice. You know, Sarah talked a little bit about this this morning, but parents asking forgiveness from their children um, should just be easy and frequent and smooth, in my opinion. So that is just God's grace that I'm pretty good at that. Um, okay, number four. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on the most ridiculous trip, tip. I'm sorry, you guys. But um, 
this is just this is just a really practical tip. So my youngest child, who is now four, he's in a preschool. My older kids went to this preschool too. It's kind of a quirky preschool. I'm sure that everything they do is really good for child development, but they do some really bizarre things. They just have some strange practices. So one of the things that they do is they sing everything. It's not just singing the cleanup song. They sing transitions. They sing everything. You know, when they're moving around the building from one place to the other, they sing, the elevator is a quiet place, a quiet place. I mean, they sing everything. So your child comes home, they're like, we're walking up the stairs, we're holding on to the banister. I mean, it's just everything is sung. So my husband is a very funny person. He has a great sense of humor. And he has started, he doesn't yell as much as I do, but he's, he, he's learned. So he has started singing. He has started singing things to, to our children when normally we would get really heated and upset. And I'm just telling you, it works. It works. So try singing what you were about to yell, like, if I find another towel on the floor, I'm going to lose my mind. You know, please pick up your towels and put them on the hook. Um, so it works. It diffuses things. You sound like a complete idiot. But I'm telling you, the number of times that I have sung something and then not screamed it or said something much more hurtful is a lot. Um, okay, that's the end of my tips. So... I'm going to end this talk with a blessing that I'm stealing from Kate Bowler, who um, you, you all know, she's an author, very famous author, most recently of No Cure for Being Human. Uh, she has a wonderful podcast. She says these blessings at the end of her podcast. She also writes a lot of them on social media. But this particular blessing was at the end of a podcast episode she did with the writer um, Tara Westover, who wrote Educated. And you know, it's, it's really asking God to cover sort of the gaps and the wounds that we feel from family who have not cared for us or loved us fully, which is, of course, a lot of what Tara Westover's story and her life story is about. Um, you know, but when she talks about not feeling loved, even if it's in this context, which in her context it was about neglect and, and abuse, um, but I think that I feel that too. I think so often angry people, it's, we're tough and we don't, we don't really have the soft gooey centers, but we do, of course. And when people don't conform to my will, not that that's right, that's the right way to think about it, but when I feel that, you know, a lot of times I'm angry that I can't control my family's behavior, but I turn it into, well, if you loved me, you would do what I want. And I think that that's also kind of what we're always feeling. It's like, if this, if, if you loved me, you would, you would conform to my will. If you loved me, it doesn't feel loving. I say that to, people, to my husband a lot. Like, oh, but it doesn't feel loving when you do this, which of course is not true. Um, and it's just, I think this is just a reminder that that kind of, that unconditional love really obviously can only come from God alone. So here goes. This is a blessing for when your family disappoints you. God, I am angry and hurt and so incredibly sad. The very people who are supposed to love me and know me best have let me down. I don't know if I'll be able to let this go or find a way forward. I'm losing my sense of home and the reality of it all fills me with a kind of fear, however big or however small, that this pain will always feel unforgivable. I know they're only human, really, I know, but their mistakes feel like they echo through me. They strike a painful chord that rings on and on, and I feel convinced all at once that I am not loved, not known, not safe. I feel small all over again. So bless me, God, when tears prick at my eyes and I feel lost to myself. Bring me home. Remind me of the places you've brought me, the person I've become, when I can feel your light and peace. Forgive them for me when I can't, and send some grace for this moment to keep my heart from breaking or my temper from rising 
or any sentence from starting with, you always. You remember me when I am a stranger to myself and an outsider at my own address. Make me a home. Thanks. That's all.